And uh, I'd like to make sure that everybody has one of these, okay? Um, these were handed out at the door for you. We'd like you to take them home. As your pastor, I am calling Christ Community Church to a 12-day fast. Uh, I feel directed by God for us to fast with a purpose. And uh, I'll share that with you in just a minute. But I feel called to a 12-day fast in preparation for each. Now, this fast can be from food. It could be from sweets. It could be from soda pop. It could be from candy. It could be from TV. It could be from computer. It could be from Facebook. Uh, whatever you need to abstain to gain. In other words, we abstain from something in that period of time so that we use that event, that thing we're abstaining from, we use it to call us to prayer. That's what fasting is about. So that if it's food and you're hungry, that is a call to, you, to prayer. If it's Facebook and you're wondering what's going on with everybody in the uh, ozone, you uh, call to prayer. Okay, that's what fasting's about, and we're going to show you a few other reasons for it. But uh, I'm calling a 12-day fast starting March 1st through the 12th. And I believe that this is a directive from the Lord. We're using this in preparation for the EACH campaign. There's an amazing uh, move of God's Spirit in our community like I've never seen before. I believe it's probably going to be one of the greatest outreaches in the history of Detroit. And God is calling the churches in the urban center and in the suburban centers, all those around the hub of Detroit and in this area, to come together through the month of May, starting at Easter and the five weeks after for the month of May, we as a people of God are going to be giving each a chance to hear. Everyone a chance to hear. That's what each stands for. We will be ministering the gospel. We will be reaching out to your neighbors, to your friends. And all Christians in this community are, uh, that are moving in like-mindedness will be reaching in evangelism. That's going to be an awesome event. And what God has spoken to me about is the preparation for that. Now there have been great prayer meetings and gatherings that have been going on, but for us, Christ Community Church, I believe God's calling us to fast. And what I want to share with you is why we are fasting. So let's begin uh, at first, uh, 2 Corinthians 10. You'll see here that what we're going to do is call on the government of God. For the 12 days, we are going to be seeking the government or the authority of God to topple and to tear down the principalities and rulers over this city. You see, if we're going to bring people and gather people into salvation through this evangelistic event, we need to have the, the, the governing Word of God established over the city. Uh, we need to put that gospel as the ruler and authority over the cities instead of the binding spirits that have been over there. And we have to tear them down. So that's what this fast is going to focus on, the government of God. And so 2 Corinthians 10.3 starts like this. It says, I'm using the English Standard Version this, this morning. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We need to walk in obedience if we're going to prove others disobedient. Does that make sense to you? You know, check the beam in your own eye before you talk about the speck in someone else's. So we must walk in obedience. So we're fasting to get ourselves calibrated, adjusted with the Spirit of God in preparation for preaching the gospel of salvation. And what we want to do is in this fast, we want to tear down the opinions and strongholds, pretensions, uh, NIV or King James uses, uh, which are the, the strongholds of thoughts over the city. Now, we're going to move in the spirit realm. Our weapons are not with clubs and guns and this and that. That's not what's going to change our cities. What's going to change our city is truth. And what is hovering over and being controlled by governing spirits over this region by strongholds and principalities are lies. That there is no God, that God doesn't care about you, that money is supreme, that you need your addictions, you need sex, you need drugs, you need alcohol, you, you need this, you need that. And, and it is destroying and rising itself up against the truth of the gospel. And God would declare to everybody in this neighborhood and in this city, they need Jesus first over anything else. Would you agree? So we have to take unto captivity those ruling thoughts and principalities that are against the truth of God's Word. And that's how the devil works. He puts concepts, precepts, ideologies out over a people. Uh, This is better than God. I want that instead of going to church. These kind of things are thoughts and ideas and attitudes that are pervasive. This region's given up on God, and we're saying we're going to reestablish the governing authority of God's Word and truth over people's lives. Amen? Now, it's just like in Daniel 9. Daniel uh, was praying for an answer from God, and an angel finally showed up. going, Man, I've been fighting all night with the prince of Persia. He means a principality of the demonic over that realm. And he said, he brought, he said, God heard your prayer, uh, you know, 21 days ago. I'm, I'm here to tell you, but I've been fighting. You've been praying, I've been fighting. A good thing Daniel didn't give up on praying. See, a lot of us give up. We didn't get our answer. Oh, well, we're done. But there might be warfare going on in the heavenlies. I hope you're not done praying for this city. And when I say this city, I'm saying, I'll call it Detroit because it, the the urban centers Detroit. If you live in a suburban, you belong to the urban. So we're subordinate or with that region. If God was going to write an epistle to this church and to the other churches, he'd say to the church in Detroit, you know, the region. So take responsibility for it. This land, Sterling Heights, Warren, Clinton Township, all, all these areas, we belong to the same area and we have a responsibility for them. And so God is saying, I need you to take weapons of warfare that are spiritually minded. Okay? And he said that they are now need, you need to establish the government of God's authorities and commands over this region. So that's what we're fasting for. And let me give you three reasons for fasting. Number one is this. It's a power struggle. 
And fasting gets us in the fight. There was a time when Jesus' disciples um, tried to cast a demon out of someone and they couldn't cast the demon out. So Jesus came and he cast the demon out of this person. And when they uh, were done with that event of ministry, they came inside a house or whatever. And as they were sitting there, the disciples said, so Jesus, what's the deal? How come we couldn't cast him out? See, they wanted to know because uh, they went out with the 70. They, they went out healing. They went out delivering people from demons and all that. But this one they couldn't get done. They couldn't get the job done. So Jesus replies and answers to them. Why can't we drive them out? And Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith. He said, if you would have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell that mountain, be removed. So what is he saying about their faith? It was smaller than a mustard seed. Now look at a mustard seed's pretty small. He's saying your faith was so small, you couldn't do this thing. But if you increased your faith, even just to the size of a little teeny mustard seed, you could speak to a mountain and it would be removed. So he then gives the conclusion. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So do the math. If they didn't have enough faith, right? And if they had just a little more even to make a mustard seed, they could cast that demon out. So he says, you need to pray and fast. So praying, prayering, praying, and fasting will increase your faith. Do you see the equation here? It's really simple. If you move into prayer and fasting, you will increase your faith from the minutia that it is into a mustard seed to speak to mountains. So the first reason we're going to pray and fast for 12 days is to increase our faith. Do you believe we're looking in the each campaign to save 40,000 souls? Do you believe it? Can that be done? Will it be done? All right. We need to prepare ourselves for that. We need to prepare ourselves that we're going to be evangelists for five weeks in the month of May. Not once a day, but every moment of the day. All day. We're going to preach the gospel. And so we, first of all, must fast to prepare ourselves to let the government of God rule in our lives. And so our faith must increase. Secondly, Isaiah 58, 6 says, this is what fasting really is all about. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? That's the second reason we're going to be fasting, because in the spirit realm, fasting cuts the chains off those who are bound. It releases those who have been tied up and strapped and oppressed. Fasting shakes the heavenlies. It's warfare. It takes captive those principalities and thoughts that have set themselves up as ruling authorities, oppressing the city of Detroit, oppressing the economy of East Point, oppressing the government of Roseville, oppressing the school systems round about us, oppressing our teens' minds and thoughts, oppressing old people to be left and forgotten and abandoned. Our fasting is going to reordain the government of God that true religion is caring for the widows and the orphans. That true Christians will reach out to those who are abandoned and oppressed and lost. will break every bond that the enemy has set up. 
reestablishing the governing principalities of what Christ taught instead of what our cities have become. Reestablishing this area as a city of God. And the third reason is this. It creates a gathering anointed. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, what? I will draw all men unto me. Jesus was lifted up on the cross. For five weeks, we are going to lift Jesus up. We are going to speak the gospel and preach the gospel to the nations. In Isaiah 60, it says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That's a testimony of Christ. That the light of the world has come. Jesus has come to save us. The light of the glorious gospel, he says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, thick darkness the people, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Now catch this. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. They come to you. The third reason we're going to fast is to get ourselves ready for the influx of people who are coming to us. Israel rejected Messiah, but there is a kingdom that was birthed in Messiah. One new man. One kingdom, one nation of God, a holy priesthood that the nations are coming to, the church, to the ecclesia, the called out. That's us. So the third reason we're fasting is for a a gathering anointing. The light is on us. The spotlight is going to be on you to lift up Christ that we would reflect all the light of Jesus Christ. And that will gather the people. People, uh, Peter said, you should have an answer for the faith you believe when people ask you. They're going to come to you. They're going to find out what's going on in this city here. What's, why are these, what am I hearing? Why am I always hearing the Gospel? Get ready. So we're going to fast, first of all, for more faith. Secondly, to break the bindings and the strappings in the spirit realm that have bound this territory. And thirdly, to get ready for the gathering of people coming to us. Amen? Alright, why 12? Why 12 days? Well, 12, as God spoke this into my heart, 12 is the number of God's government. Let me prove it to you. First of all, just in nature, everything runs off of 12. So we get 12 hours of sun, it rules the day. 12 hours of moon, it rules the night. For 12 months, we circle around the sun, right? I mean, God's government and rule in creation is run under the system of 12. In the Old Testament, the patriarchs, patriarchs from Seth, the son of Adam, to Noah were 12. The patriarchs from Noah's son Shem to Jacob was 12. Jacob had how many sons? 12, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. And once they became the 12 tribes of Israel, there were 12 judges that ruled over Israel. You get it? (laughs) 12 is the government, the number of God's governing authorities. In the New Testament, Jesus was 12 when he was about his father's business why 12 when you're 12 you have your bar mitzvah if you're a girl you have a bat mitzvah but at age 12 you are now responsible to the ruling and governing authority of the law over your life jesus at age 12 went into the temple and said i am about my father's government or business or authority 
He amazed them at that time. Jesus chose how many apostles to establish His kingdom? Twelve. Twelve in authority. We go on, we look in the book of Revelation. There's 144,000 Jews in that book. I think it's symbolic of the church. That's 12 tribes times uh, 1,200. I got an extra zero there. Or is it 12,000? No, it is 12,000. Okay, that's 144. That's a derivative of 12. The New Jerusalem has 12 foundations. And when you measure the New Jerusalem, it's 12,000 furlongs square. Its walls are 144. That's 12 times 12. It has 12 gates. Do we see a repetition here? We got it, right? Okay. 12 is the, nu- the number of God's ruling and governing authority. We are going to fast for 12 days to break the bands of this kingdom of darkness over the city so that the government of God, of liberty, would be established. To have faith to pronounce the kingdom is here as ambassadors of God. To speak to the mountains the enemy has set up and cast them into the sea. The mountains of poverty, the mountains of prejudice, the mountains of oppression that are in this city. We speak to it. There's been a spirit of of lawlessness. There's a spirit of death over this city. These are mountains that we must speak to. We have to increase our faith by the government of God. It's not your ability, but to stand as an ambassador of God. So we fast for 12 days to break the yoke and the bondages. Now, what I want you to do is I've made you a devotional. And what I've done is I've taken 12 names for Jesus, the governing and ruling authority of all the earth. And each day, I'd like you to meditate on that name, pray about it, begin to seek the Lord under that name, and begin to declare that name for that day for the government of God. What is most important, we'll start with this, is the doctrine of the session of Christ. I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and we used to call the elder board... I, was, I became an elder in the Presbyterian Church when I was 17, and I joined, I was a part of the session. That's a term for the ruling powers or ruling authorities. And uh, so we declare, and there's a doctrine in the church that you hardly ever hear about called the session of Christ. Basically, it's this. Jesus, when he died on the cross, died for our sins taking all the sins of Adam upon himself so that he would exchange for us his righteousness with the Father. And so that's what his death accomplished. He was buried so that he would break the power of death because he himself was without sin and he rose from the dead to declare his lordship. He spent 40 days on earth teaching the disciples. I mean, did you ever figure out how in the world they knew what he was praying in the, in the garden? How did John know what Jesus was praying in the garden? Well, Jesus spent 40 days talking to him. What do you think? Maybe he told him about what happened in the garden. What happened in some of the areas that no one else was there. Jesus spent 40 days giving them the depths of the kingdom. Teaching them. And then it says he ascended. And then when he ascended, it declared that this is how he's going to return. He will return physically, bodily to planet earth. Right? But what we forget is he went to heaven and then what? He's just kicked back. He's just hanging out. Some kind of a need? Wait, I'm hearing someone pray. What? There's a problem. Oh my goodness. Let me attend to it. 
and we tell him what you should do. Jesus, you need to do this and you need to do that. Right. Father, there's a problem and we need to do something. They told us that we should do this. That's how we pray. That's how we think. We inform Jesus on what he should do. We do. We tell him, you know, God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to do that. And they said this and I said that. And we treat him as if he's just hanging out till he comes again because there's really not a lot going on. But the doctrine of the session of Christ is this, that when he ascended, he sat down on the throne of David and he, the king, is in session. Everything is being ruled and governed by his authority right now. And we have missed that. Or we think he's not doing that good of a job. There's a lot of problems here. You hear it by unsafe people all the time. If there's a God, why is there so much sin? Because of us. And I'm talking to you, so it's because of you. <laughs> We're all responsible for it, right? But the session of Christ is there very important. Let me show you what Peter uh, declared on the day of Pentecost. Would you turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 29? Let's go to Acts 2.29. It's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out on His people. The 120 in the upper room receive the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. Tongues of fire over their heads. They begin pronouncing all the glorious works of God in all the tongues and languages of the nations that have gathered in Jerusalem. They bust out into the streets. It's nine in the morning and they're just declaring all the good things God has done. One of those would be the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Him dying for our sins. And these people are going like, Wow! Everybody can hear and understand all this good news that's being preached to them. And they go, they must be drunk. And Peter gets up and he says, no, they're not drunk. He said, this is that that we've been waiting for. This is what Joel prophesied. He's going to pour out his spirit. And he goes on to say this, and this is very important. Acts 2.29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us today. Now, they could agree with that, right? David's dead. He's, he's right over there. You can go see his tomb, right? Okay, we can agree with that. Being therefore a prophet, okay, we can agree with that. David was a prophet, yeah. And knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Yeah, okay, David prophesied one of his descendants would be the king. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. You remember the psalm that David wrote, my, my, my body will not be left in the grave to die and see corruption. He was prophesying about the resurrection of Jesus. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all, all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. David didn't go up into heaven, but he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. What is he saying right there? He is saying that Jesus took the throne of authority that David said would rule the earth and he sat down. The king is in his session. Amen. 
He is ruling and reigning. And then he goes on and says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Messiah Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You see, we kind of gloss over that so quick, but what he's saying is this. Jesus is ruling on the throne of David. He is the King of Israel. He is the King of the world. He is the Savior and Ruler, Lord of all lords, King of all kings. He is the Majesty on high. That's the session of Christ. That's what we're going to pray. That's what we're going to meditate on for 12 days. The government of God. That Jesus is King of Detroit. Jesus is Lord of Macomb County. Jesus is ruling over Sterling Heights and Clinton Township and Warren. It's Jesus who is who is in control and in charge. You've got to get your mind around that. We're not believing that. We don't live as if Jesus is ruling our lives. Economy runs our lives. Right? My work schedule runs my life. My kids run my life. But for 12 days, you need to realign yourself with the government of God and understand you're accountable to a king who sits on the throne, who is ruling in majesty and declaring his kingdom first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will get aligned to it. That's a paraphrase. I kind of like it. It just came to me. All right, let's go on. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to take all 12, but let's take a few of them so that you can really begin to get the idea of what I'm talking about. Let's, Let's first of all start with King of Kings. Jesus is the King of Kings. Does this community, does this world understand that Jesus is the king over it? Paul said this, 1 Timothy 6.15, second half of the verse, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. You see, a king has a kingdom. Do you know what the dumb is on the king? Dominion. A king has dominion. And, and the, the word he uses here, blessed and only sovereign in the Greek is despot. A despot is one who rules without question of his authority. He is sovereign, absolute. You don't question the king. We're a bunch of whiny babies. Why? Why? Why this? You heard the prophecy this morning. That God wants us to be obedient and do what He wants us to do. Understanding Him. A sovereign. A sovereign. He rules and reigns your life sovereignly. He didn't get elected. He is the sovereign Lord. Unchanging. He is the King of kings. The Lord of lords. Immortal. Unapproachable. He is glorious. And every ruling power must submit to His authority. In fact, anybody that has any authority was given it by God. Romans 13 says, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So the mayor of this city, the mayor of Detroit, the mayor of any city is a mayor because God said you can be mayor. 
I will never forget it. It's been about, I don't know, seven or eight years, maybe less. But uh, one in worship is when the church has tried to gather down at Ford Field. And we had worship services. And I remember going down there during the day. And uh, this was, I don't know if this is when Kwame was re-elected or just first elected. I can't remember. But Kwame Kilpatrick was there. And uh, he stood there. And Barbara Yoder, I don't know if you know who Barbara Yoder is. She's about this tall. Uh, Well, she's about that tall. Maybe she's that tall. Just this tiny little white lady. And, uh, she, and if you've seen Kwame, Kwame's a big guy. And he was the mayor. And I'll never forget this, watching. And here she is standing, prophesying over Kwame. And she said, Mayor Kilpatrick, if you don't make righteous choices and rule this city with righteous decisions, you will be exposed for everything you do. And he was. Now, this isn't just against Kwame, but that can be said to every mayor, the mayor of Roseville, the mayor of Warren, the mayor of East Point, the the city managers, the, the secretaries, anybody that has any authority must answer to King Jesus. We all answer in authority to King Jesus. Jesus is teaching us how to rule and reign under His authority so that we will know how to rule and reign with Him for eternity. So how are you doing with that? Are you responsible to your king? Are you ruling your household the way King Jesus wants you to rule it? Are you ruling your relationships the way King Jesus says you should properly rule your lives and run your lives? Many of us are not, and we're, getting, we're paying the consequences because what you sow, you will reap. So we see these titles of Jesus. He is King. He is Sovereign. He is Lord. And we want to establish His Word over this community as King and authority. I was in a meeting last Friday and the Lord Lord had spoken to His sister who has a ministry in the inner city of Detroit. And if you've been in the inner city, you'll see these posters in store shops and everywhere else. And it says, Thou shalt not kill. God told her to take that message and to print it and to begin speak it into the city because of the number of deaths and the people who are dying and with handguns and violence in the city of Detroit. And so instead of petitioning that we have more police and get rid of guns and doing all this, what God spoke to her was speak my word. Get the thinking realigned and now you go shop owner cities and she's been to the mer- the mayor of ferndale the mayor of uh, a bunch of surrounding cities and mayor bing even said he will pronounce the 22nd of the month as a um day of peace and life in in honor of that poster in that day so what's happening is you see god is establishing his rule over the mindsets of the people They're all seeing it now, and now the Word of God says, Thou shalt not kill. Oh, come on. You know, someone is going to shoot someone. They're not going to go, Oh, wait a minute. I saw a poster, and it it said, Thou shalt not kill, so I'm not going to shoot him. No, but it's going to penetrate the psyche of the people. It's bringing under the authority of God's rule the mindset of a community that says, That's right. Life is sacred. God said, Thou shalt not kill. So the Word's getting into the community. That's what I'm talking about. 
We need to get Jesus back on people's minds, back into the community, that there is a higher authority, there is a power above all people. His name is Jesus. He is sovereign. He is Lord. And we must walk circumspectly before Him. So that's what we're fasting for. Let's go to another one. Savior. Savior. Now I'm taking you through the book of Acts because look at what the book of Acts did. The twelve, the government of God, went into the earth and the kingdom of God went by violence, by force, took the authority of the kingdom, so much so that they began to say, these are those who have been with Jesus. They're turning the world upside down. How is it being turned upside down? The government of God's authority and truth was changing the mindsets of the Levites, of the priests, of the governing officials and rulers, and of the people. And here is one of the principal mindsets that you must understand. Book of Acts, Peter cries out and said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men must be saved. He's sovereign, he's Lord. He will not share salvation or His glory with anyone else. Now, we're going to be preaching that. But that's so narrow. That's a narrow mindset. And there's really a lot of good people who aren't Christians. They're devoted to their religion. They're nice. They're right. And and they're sincere. I agree. But sincerity is not truth. You can be sincerely wrong. I mean, people, Jeffrey Dahmer was sincerely involved in his activities. He believed in them. I forgot, that name came out, I don't remember what he did, but he was a bad man. (laughs) And he was sincere. You see what I'm saying? Sincerity, isn't it? All roads lead to God. No, they don't. God made one. He came from heaven, came in flesh, died for our sins, went through death, and went to the throne to sit there. There's only one way to salvation. Is that your governing authority over your life? That must be the governing principle of the church over this community. There is only one way to be saved. It's not how much money you give. It's not about your works. It's not how sincere you are. You must come to the cross of Jesus Christ and plead the blood shed for you. Paul said this to the intellects on Mars Hill when he was visiting Corinth. You guys are really smart, boy. I can tell you philosophers why you're religious too. You even have a statue to the unknown God in case you missed one. That's thinking, boys. Amazing! You guys are great! But can I tell you something? And the King James says this, God in past times winked at your ignorance. He overlooked it. But can I say this? And this is what's awesome about the government of God. He said, now, now God commands all people everywhere to repent. We don't preach that anymore. So you see what's going on in the government of God? We're not executing the government of God. God said everyone must repent. Everyone must come to Christ Jesus. Everyone must repent. Are you hearing this message in the airwaves and on the news? Are you hearing this message in the church? Everyone must repent. 
Mormons, you must repent and come to the true Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jehovah Witnesses, you must repent and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Muslims, you must come to the true Lord Jesus Christ. Buddhists, you must come to the Lord. Atheists, you must come. This is the governing authority of God. And I am speaking to you as an ambassador of that kingdom that God is commanding you, you must repent or you will be judged. But that's not very cozy. It's not very friendly. Well, neither has been the economic collapse and the moral failure and collapse of our government and our society. It's not been nice. What in the world are we doing as a church? We're the ambassadors of a kingdom and we're not telling him that the world, we're not telling the world what our king has commanded to be spoken. And so there's no other name by which men can be saved. We don't do it rudely. We don't do it meanly. We do it with love. A love that is so uh, heart-wrenching and compassionate. We will be patient. We will be tolerant. We want to share with you, but we will speak the principles of the kingdom. We'll help you come to a knowledge of this repentance, but you must at least hear it. And so we need to understand that in the government of God, He's Savior and the only Savior. We don't speak of this much, do we? Jesus Himself said this, The Father has given all judgment unto Me. So do you know who's coming to judge the living and the dead? Peter preached it in Acts 10. He commands us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. I've taken from the books of Acts the sermons of Peter. This is what the early church preached to the people. To the Jews, a hostile environment. And they didn't nice it down, dumb it down, back it off. You know, they spoke truth because they were shifting governments. They had been so close to Jesus. They saw him resurrected. They saw what his government does. It destroys the wreck and havoc that Satan has oppressed people on. God's kingdom heals the sick, delivers people from from oppression and bondage. God's kingdom establishes peace, love, joy, gentleness, goodness. People want this. They crave it. They didn't back down. They knew the kingdom they were representing, and they were not of the kingdoms of this world. The church is trying to look like the kingdoms of this world so people will just slip in unexpectedly. We make our church services so much like a a worldly event or so casual that people slip in and out without knowing they've entered a new kingdom. This is a different kingdom. We invite people to church instead of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, you have to meet the king. (laughs) What a concept. Why don't we introduce people to the king instead of us and our programs and our music and our CDs and our books and our stars? There's only one in this kingdom who rules and reigns. King Jesus, supreme. And so he's coming to judge. If you're dead, he's going to judge you. If you're alive, he's going to judge you. Can't get out of this thing. But there wasn't enough time. This message has been preached everywhere. And in this community, saturated. 
churches on every corner. But you didn't do enough for me. And all the king has to do is hold his hands up so that you would see the nails in his hands. This king gave his everything. He left his kingdom and equality with God not to grasp, but he released himself into the pit and the clay to serve us and to ultimately die and to take the cup that was given unto him for the joy set before him. So there's so much more, brothers and sisters, in these 12 days that we will be studying that I want you to fast on to understand the government of God, the mindset that is going to be established over here. Now, I've included some more. Those his government over the church. Just consider these titles. He is the bishop of our souls. Bishop is an overseer, the governor, the one in authority of your soul. What you bring into your soul, what you give out of your soul, have you been making sure the bishop approves? He's the bridegroom, the lover of your soul. He wants an intimate relationship with you. He's the shepherd who will guide you. He's the head of the body that makes the hands and feet function. He makes the church decide what to do, what not to do. He's the high priest ever living to make intercession for us to perform the will of God. He's our advocate who will fight against the wrath and those who accuse us in spiritual realms. We're covered. The king's got us covered, so let's do the work. I conclude with this. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 23. All of this is about the governing authority of Jesus. And in Acts 4, 23, they pray a prayer. Peter and John just get out of jail. The governing authorities of that city locked them up. Let me ask you something. How many of you are willing to be locked up for your faith? How many of you are willing to pray for the leadership? Because they're going to come into collision. You need to pray for our president. He just made a decision uh, this week that, that is just devastating to the definition of family and marriage. Approving of homosexual unions, and, and this is a real problem. It is completely contrary to the government of God and the authority of God. So what that does is it puts us in a bind, brothers and sisters. It means that it might not be long before we'll be holding church in jail because we could speak out and we must speak out against homosexuality. Not against homosexuals. We need to love and care for them. But the agenda, the gay agenda, and the sin of homosexuality it cannot be approved by the governing of the land. It destroys marriage. It will eventually destroy our society. We will speak out about it. And in doing so, we may be committing hate crime or be thrown into jail for it. So when you say you pray for your leaders and you're willing to go to jail, uh, we're talking about a real reality here now. Not just ifs and maybes. We need to pray. And that's what I'm talking about. We need to fast. If we're going to turn this nation around, if it can be turned around, only God can do it. And that's what these brothers were praying in Acts chapter 4. They were facing pagan Rome and a religious society of Israel. And they were arrested for it. And he said, you cannot do this anymore. And they said, we will obey God, not men. And so they went back to pray. And let's look at how they prayed. And this is the focus for us for the next 12 days in March 1-12. through 12. It says in Acts 4.23, 
On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord. So where do we start? Sovereign authority. Who's in charge here? You see, we've got to get reoriented, get back on the mark here. You see what I'm saying? God's in charge of everything. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. Sovereign Lord. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David, your servant, our Father. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the Anointed One. Governing authorities. Governing powers. This is how Satan works. He works in governing authorities and governing powers. But they went right over their heads and said, Sovereign Lord. <laughs> That's the perspective we need. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. How about that? That's when you know the sovereignty of God. You trust the sovereignty of God that no matter what happens in your life, you know that your sovereign Lord has ordained it. You will trust Him. You will obey Him. You will honor Him even though your heart's broken. Even though you lack. Even though something happened in your life that's torn you apart. My God is a good God. My God is Savior, sovereign, and supreme. And I will stand in agreement with Him. And so we need to get that perspective. God allowed Detroit to go through what it's going through. The devastation, the poverty. We used to be one of the most creative cities in this nation. One of the most economically vibrant. We had more products and produce being made in this city than anywhere else. What's happened? It's dried up. It's, it's, it's a waste town. It's a ghost town. It's under oppression. And, and, and it's, it's just impacting the entire state. Could it be that our sovereign Lord allowed for such a thing to take place for such a time as this that His glory would shine once again sovereignly and bring more people to a knowledge of God who otherwise would have been self-sufficient and self-satisfied? There's a bigger picture here than people's happiness. It's their eternal salvation. And so He said, you let them do what you appointed and decided beforehand should happen. Their free will allowed them to enter into the event. God's sovereign will knew the event would take place. You could decide what cast of characters you were going to join up in. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I love that. He said, "The God, you're the God of this city. They had schemes and plans. You planted your Savior here. They killed Him. They're going to try and destroy your church. But your God, you're the God of this plan. Now give us boldness to perform it. And then he calls on the miraculous. He goes on and he says this. Now, 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. This isn't going to be done except by the supernatural hand of God. Detroit can't come back without God's miraculous power breathing life into it. There has to be healing in the economy. Healing into the political realm. Healing into our educational system. Healing that God's going to bring into this city. Miraculous signs and wonders so they know that there's no one other but God who is doing it. That's the government of God. I'll finish up quickly. Sorry. Taking long. I don't apologize. I take it back. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. Ambassadors ambassadors that's what we are it is time for us to speak boldly so we must pray and fast for 12 days to get faith to draw into the breaking the bonds of oppression to have the light of god's glorious gospel shine on us to draw people to us to have the government of god established in the mindset and rule over this community and in our own lives to see jesus as sovereign will you Take seriously and take to task this fast and this prayer for the 12 days in March. Will you? Amen. Let's bow our heads.